are joined with uh, Mark Chalmers, President and CEO of Energy Fuels. The company is listed on the New York Stock Exchange under symbol UUUU and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under EFR. The company also has listed warrants on both exchanges. Mark has an extensive history in the uranium business working with companies such as Paladin, General Atomics, Cameco, and many others. Mark is among the few who have a credible long-term history in the business. Mark, welcome and let's get to it. Uh, first up question, um, why did you decide to hang your hat at Energy Fuels for this new uranium cycle? Well, um, a number of reasons. Uh, one, I had worked with a lot of these assets earlier in my career in the 70s and the 80s and uh, had spent uh, probably the, the, the last half, the last 15 years, uh, mainly based out of Australia. Uh, you know, I saw the, um, you know, the, certainly the, uh, not many of us have forgotten about, you know, the share appreciations that we saw back in 2005, six, seven, and you saw two emerging stars, you saw Paladin Energy, and you saw Uranium One emerge from the pack. Those two were very big performers. And, um, you know, for different reasons, um, uh, when Uranium One was privatized and then Paladin Energy had, you know, its its, its troubles with, uh, um, you know, financial issues. Uh, I thought Energy Fuels was the best vehicle out there positioned for the next upturn in uranium prices. Uh, excellent, excellent. So on, on that, on that, it looks like you had a good good situation and a good setup coming with Energy Fuels with your earlier relation. Um, back back a couple of years ago, you were working towards setting up a new uranium uh, vehicle called Uranium Africa Limited. What happened there? Yeah, um, I was involved. That, that was we we acquired to that group. We acquired a couple of the uh, some of the Palin's assets um, that were up for sale. Um, actually, before they went into administration, uh, I uh, spent about a year with that. Um, they were talking about having sort of a vehicle focused on uranium, and then they kind of changed direction. So um, they decided they were going to go into other battery metals, and, and at this point in time, they still hold those. Uh, uranium assets, I believe. Okay. So Energy Fuels was the leader along with UR Energy in submitting a U.S. Section 232 petition. Why didn't Westwater, Uranium Energy Corp., Uranium One, and others in the U.S. join you guys in this petition and the cost sharing? Well, uh, we, we felt it was, it was it, it overly complicated it to have a number of different parties involved. Um, we uh, joined with UR Energy for two reasons. That one, we are producers, um, and we're pure play um, uh, producers in the United States. Um, when we started looking around at other people who could join us in the petition, they had a possible conflicts where they either had ownership from outside the United States. Um, uh, you know, for example, they were, you know, Canadian producers, or they were you know, potentially, you know, based out of Australia or had connections to uh, either the former Soviet Union, like in the case of Uranium One. Um, so we, we thought that uh, it was best just for the two of us to uh, take on the petition uh, because it's very difficult sometimes to get everybody to sit down and try to write something that everybody agrees with. So we're very pleased that we joined with you, our energy, and um, we wanted to keep it simple. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, you guys, Energy Fuels being the uh, the number one there in the United States for uh, pr 
production and, and, and even quite, you know, arguably a lot of the assets there are, are very good that Energy Fuels has. Makes, makes a lot of sense. Okay, you had a uh, long tenure working with John Borjoff at Paladin. What are your thoughts on John and his new venture with Deep Yellow? Oh, look at, um, yeah, I worked for Paladin for nearly five years. And, um, you know, John is one of the true visionaries in this business, um, you know, and how he positioned Paladin, you know, in that upturn 2005, 2006. A lot of respect for John Borshoff. Uh, I do, ne I never count him out because I know how he thinks. And, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, he's taken a position uh, in Namibia which is probably one of the most favorable jurisdictions for uranium uh, exploration and mining in the world. So I'd say don't count John Borshoff out. I, I, I think that he's still got a lot of energy and he can still do great things in this business. Excellent. Excellent. Yes, it's, 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 it's interesting. And following up to that, what, what wisdom did you gain at Paladin that you are reinforcing with your leadership at Energy Fuels? Well, I think that, um, you know, and I'll give you a good example that, um, you know, Langer Heinrich, um, uh, you know, was considered a low-grade deposit. It was a low-grade deposit. Uh, John really had this vision to, to increase uh, the, the production out of Langer Heinrich, uh, you know, up to, you know, at the stage when I was there, we were doing nearly 6 million pounds a year, which was, which, you know, one of the larger projects. I think it's a top 10 producers uh, in the world. And, um, you know, John always had this, this focus on, um, uh, you know, increasing production and getting some of the best deposits in the world. So, um, you know, I, I, I think, I think, and, and I think this is also interesting too, because I think my time uh, in Australia, and I'm an Australian citizen, served me well, because I think that, um, you know, the Australians and the Canadians, uh, they know how to 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 operate in this the this small resource sector. A lot of Americans don't understand that business, and and the sort of time I spent with uh, John Borshoff and others in in Australia uh, really served me well in terms of how I think, how I position, uh, and how I move forward um, in the smaller end of the uh, of you know these listed companies and resources. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a good, you have a good global view, if you will. You don't have the tunnel vision that might, uh, you know, be put in if, if you were just uh, hanging around in the U.S. Uh, all your life. So you have a good, a good realm of experience and, and it's done a, done a, a nice job for you. Um, and I also want to add too that the, um, you know, yeah, the geographic um, uh, understanding, because there's a lot of people that work in this business, I call it in their patch, you know, they've worked either in the United States, uh, only or ISR only or Australia only, you know, I think you have to see uh, these projects uh, all over the globe uh, and better understand uh, their economics, um, better understand the political challenges, better understand the, the you know, the, the, you know, various regulatory hurdles that you have to get over the cultural issues. So um, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's been rewarding for me to, to, to have that kind of global perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Back to energy fuels. Uh, the company has a strong position in the U.S. Are you planning to expand the company potential and asset base into places like Canada, Australia, and beyond? Um, look, um, 
when the time's right and it makes uh, sense to the shareholders, I, there's a lot of things I could do with this vehicle. Um, when I came back from Australia, um, I, I didn't come back to energy fuels looking at just having status quo. I'm thinking big, and, and again, these are the kind of things that with people like the four shops, you, you learn to think big, don't think small. Um, and I think that um, this vehicle, uh, you know, where it's positioned, uh, you know, we're in an excellent position to think big and um, and globally. And, and things like, uh, you know, this, if we get relief out of Section 232 uh, or, you know, we continue on successfully with our, you know, upcoming Vanadium production, puts us in a very, very good spot in terms of thinking big. Mark, following up with that, who do you think, who was instrumental in getting energy fuels to where it is today? Well, um, there were, there were, it's kind of interesting how energy, I mean, there was, there were a number, there were two energy fuels. There was a private energy fuels uh, that um, that was owned by mainly the Adams family. Uh, they were um, uh, entrepreneurs back in the 60s and 70s. Actually, John Adams is still around, the son of, of, um, of Bob Adams, who formed the company. So, um, But I worked with a number of people back in those days, and Steve Antony, who I took over from the 1st of February, um, he basically started kind of putting together the public company uh, with another guy named George Glazier, which some people have heard of. Um, so they, they started putting together the, the new public, uh, publicly traded energy fuels over a number of years um, and, uh, and, and gathered up a lot of uh, the assets you know, while I was in Australia. So I was watching this from afar and, um, uh, you know, and, and just, just saw that, uh, you know, they were doing some good work. So, um, so again, I, I look at this business of uh, a number of different people that I've worked with over the years, and, and and what they do, and how they do things, and and um, you know how you go forward. So the company has ownership in Virginia Energy Resources. Will the U.S. Supreme Court side with or against Virginia Energy regarding their case to lift the state ban on uranium mining? You know, I really don't have an opinion on that. Um, um, yeah, that's uh, we're one of the major shareholders of Virginia Energy. Um, you know, with the courts in that part of the world, I, I, I really don't know. Uh, I think that you know you do it does uh, emphasize where you get these conflicts between you know federal and state authorities on things like mining and particularly uranium mining. So we'll see where that goes, but. Um, uh, but yeah, that is one of the investments that was made uh, before I showed up uh, at Energy Fuels, the the new Energy Fuels. Yes, yeah. right, right, and and we're uh, we're writing up a uh, article about this issue uh, for some other folks, uh, so we're just actually working on that now. And it, it a very it's a very complicated issue, so it's a, it's a tough one, and and it's uh, quite a speculation on what that outcome is going to be. So tell us about Energy Fuels. Sure. I do want to make a comment about Virginia Energy. Is that Coles Hill project um, was um, a very high priority for Union Carbide, who is a large uranium producer in the United States, um, back in the 80s. So uh, you know, it's, I think it's a quite a, a, a good deposit, a very large deposit, um, but it was a high priority back in the 80s for Union Carbide. So 
you know, companies like Carbide didn't get excited about things that weren't good. And um, so whatever that's worth as a plug, um, I remember uh, Carbide talking very favorably about the opportunities and potential for Coles um, Hill uranium project. Right, and we understand Sprott also has a, a stake in the in the business there, and and there is uh, it's going to be an interesting outcome, and, and even even if the outcome is negative in, in form of the company, uh, there is uh, some light at the end of the tunnel, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how how that proceeds. So it's very uh, very interesting and a very watched case, being a significant strategic asset of the United States. So it uh, is going to be interesting to see how that plays out during this cycle. Um, so tell us, tell us why Energy Fuels is the go-to company for uranium investors. What sets you apart from the others in your home jurisdiction? Well, I think that um, a number of things. Um, you know, one, we've got uh, several projects that are fully permitted, constructed, and in, in, in a couple of cases operating. We're actually producing uranium uh, as we speak from two of our three production centers. Uh, you know, to get a permit, particularly in the United States, is very difficult right now. Uh, you know, the cost of, of, of constructing a new project, uh, you know, is, is, is very expensive and hard to finance. So, you know, we've got some great optionality um, in terms of uh, how we can respond and how quickly we can respond. Uh, you know, and those are things that are real drivers of coming back to the U.S. for this, this opportunity. Um, we also have uh, some other exposure to, um, you know, other revenue sources, um, which which I had known about from my previous association with White Mesa and the Colorado Plateau. Vanadium is very hot um, uh, metal right now. Uh, we're going to we're planning to start vanadium production literally in, the, in days, uh, and we produce a lot of vanadium in the past from White Mesa Mill. Uh, but we also had some other um, side businesses, which we're not trying to focus on as our core business, like recycling and low-level radioactive materials. Um, now, I think that uh, a few years ago, that was falling on deaf ears. Um, so I've been out trying to tell the story uh, better and clearer in terms of the optionality that we have. Uh, the, the, the markets responded quite positively. Uh, we probably, you know, outperformed the average of our peers uh, by basically, uh, you know, an order. Uh, we're, we're, we're about double um, you know, what other share appreciation has been in the sector um, in the last uh, year. Uh, and, and, and as a result of that, we made the Russell 3000. That increased the liquidity. Uh, we've got a very strong balance sheet. We've been paying down debt. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Um, but there is a lot of things happening at Energy Fuels, and there will continue to be a lot of things happening at Energy Fuels in the future. Well, Mark, that sounds like a, a pretty good, pretty good set of reasons why uh, investors, specifically ones that are looking at the U.S. jurisdiction right now, is a good place to be uh, looking at Energy Fuels. Um, so, moving on, are there any other businesses in the uranium space that you like specifically? Well, the list is fairly short. I mean, and and I think one of the key things with the uranium space is, you know, some different investments offer different exposures and different time frames. You know, I've, I've always liked uh, Cameco, you know, not for the multiple baggers, um, you know, that some of the smaller ones can provide, 
but I think that um, Tim Gitzel and his team are, 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 are really focused on doing the right things as the largest publicly traded uranium producer uh, with the reductions in production and how they've been positioning themselves. Um, you know, there's other, you know, some great discoveries, you know, like the aero deposit with NextGen. I mean, it's, lo it's longer further out, but it's a great discovery. Uh, you know, I mentioned, uh, you know, Deep Yellow. Um, you know, I think that uh, UR Energy is focused on, you know, being and remaining and expanding uranium production in time, uh, certainly energy fuels. Uh, and there are there are a few others as well, but but those are the kind of the key ones. And, and some of these new, um, you know, these, these, these new companies that have started up, you know, buying physical products, I think Yellowcake PTY, you know, started buying uranium at the right prices. Um, so it was pretty well positioned with this uptake in uranium prices. So, but the list is not long. You know, there may be, uh, you know, 50 things you could you could potentially buy into, and that's probably overstating. Um, but there's probably you can probably count on one hand, maybe going on to the second hand, uh, who I would invest in. Right, right. And along those lines, it brings me into my next question. Uh, in your view, what uranium business has the best chance of first? bringing on a new globally significant mine operation during this cycle? Well, again, that's, uh, that's, that's a <clears throat> tough question. You have projects that are on standby. Um, you know, some of those will come on um, sooner and quicker. Um, but when you start looking at large, large global um, assets, um, you know, it, it, it becomes more challenging. I mean, there's some... Uh, I mean, we have the, the Roca Honda project, which is our largest longer-term project. Uh, you've got, um, um, you know, I have to, you kind of caught me off guard here, but, you know, I know Denison's been doing some work, but but it's 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 very difficult to respond. And and, and, and that's why I like energy fuels with the, the, the permitted and constructed projects, because even for us, if, if the gun goes off, and, and we're producing uranium as we speak, um, you know, it's going to take us 6, 12 to 18 months to start ramping up our production. But when you look at new uh, projects that aren't constructed, you know, time goes by pretty quickly. So, and, and, but that is the opportunity of being in the space and being invested in something like us and Cameco, um, you know, and, and, a, and a few others. Uh, the people that can respond are going to be the ones that win this race in this next upturn. Right. Absolutely, and and with your guys's you know liquidity and, and listing on on the New York Stock Exchange, and of course in in the big board in Toronto, that's certainly a plus for for funds, uh, retail investors, everybody looking to uh, get into energy fuels. So at Energy Fuels, you have uh, uranium operations that are mostly on standby. You're preparing to bring on vanadium production as an attractive near-term cash generator. You've got uh, you know projects that that are you're working on, you're drilling on uh, going forward. So you kind of got different different things. You got development, you got discovery, you have production, uh, all more or less uh, ready to go. So what will be the company's focus when uranium hits $40 a pound? Well, um, I think the focus will be that I think the investors will continue to show more interest when it hits $40 a pound. I mean, the, the real price of a pound of uranium is um, – uh, about $60 plus, uh, you know, we, we kind of stick with the uh, guidance that uh, Cameco has provided that, you know, we get interested in going back into primary production when the prices are closer to $50 plus 
you know, Cameco has publicly stated that. $40 is still actually too low. I mean, you can maybe trade dollars, and we have projects that we can we can mine and trade dollars on, but we really want to make a profit. So, um, you know, the, the going forward costs on our projects are between about 25 to, say, $40 at the project level. So we're not planning to be producing a lot of uranium at 40. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that sounds, uh, sounds interesting. And, and of course, uh, I think, uh, for the, for the industry, you know, people shouldn't get too itchy you know, with their trigger fingers at 40 a pound. Uh, hopefully there'll be some significant, uh, uh, you know, holdout to get, to get better pricing. Cause I think, uh, folks, producers can get that. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> Energy Fuels has one of the best opportunities in the U.S. to secure long-term contracts with local utilities. At what prices will you obligate the company supplies? Well, as I said, you know we we're looking at you know you know north of fifty dollars per pound, and and um, because we we think that uranium you know below that uh, isn't being replaced at fair value. So um, you know assuming we get some. Uh, you know, positive relief from Section 232, and, and, you know, we don't know exactly, you know, what relief, if any, will come out of that, but we're very positive that it, that our argument is very strong. Um, you know, we're, we're asking for a quota on U.S. production, uh, and, and, and that would have to be, you know, from U.S. producers, and, and we need, you know, long-term contracts, uh, you know, north of the $50, you know, as I mentioned, to, to, to respond. But again, a lot of the, the the political risk and the technical risk are are have been dealt with with our projects because they have produced in the past. We know what the costs are. We know they function. We know they work. Um, you know, we know we have projects that again are fully permitted. Uh, so you know, we are in a position or will be in a position when the price is right to sign long-term contracts uh, to secure the company for as far out as we can secure it. Well, that's that's good to hear. So, on a follow-up question to this, uh, along the same lines, looking back at the last cycle, in your opinion, why did the large majority of businesses fail to lock in long-term contracts in excess of fifty a pound that would have been provided that would have provided operational sustainability uh, post Fukushima? Well, I think that. Um a lot of people thought that the market was going to recover after Fukushima um, uh, quicker than it did. Um, I think people recognize that, you know, when you're looking at, you know, contracts, you know, 45, 50, $55 per pound, that those were low. Uh, and even by today's standard, they were low. Uh, so people were, were thinking it was going to all settle out quicker, faster. Uh, and it didn't. Uh, if I've learned anything in my career, and I hope I learned some things, um, you know, you should have, uh, particularly if you, you've got some fairly high um, debt exposure, uh, you should have a fairly substantial quantity of your production sold forward on long-term contracts and, uh, you know, in the residual you can speculate with. But, but you certainly want to have long-term contracts, and, um, you know, um, I'm one of that believes that you should have north of 50% of your production capability, probably close to 60 65% maybe higher 70 uh, secured in long-term contracts. 
Absolutely, because you know these these things are 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 gold, if you will, when when the cycle turns and you have an oversupplied market. So these long-term contracts can really carry through businesses until there's a uh, you know a return of a of an up cycle again. So I, I like like your response. Um, <clears throat> moving on, what key people in the uranium business do you consider to be instrumental to your success and overall industry success going forward? Well, I think the, the key people are our employees, and um, we've got a lot of good experience here. We've got uh, uh, Dave Friedland, who's our uh, counsel and CFO, been in the business, worked uh, with the Lundines uh, earlier in his career. He's been around for about 25 years, uh, mainly from a legal regulatory perspective. Paul Gorenson, he was the president of the Chemical Resources and also constructed the Alta Mesa uh, in-situ recovery project that we currently own. Uh, we've got a number of other people uh, in the organization um, that have a lot of excellent skill sets. We've got some younger people, um, but uh, the key driver of our organization um, are our people. I mean, I do look at people like, uh, you know, the Borshoffs. Uh, I do look at people like Tim Gitzel, Jerry Grandy, um, um, you know, some of the people, Orrin Benton that I worked with um, um, back in the 90s and, and, and the Adams, Bob Adams, uh, all these people have contributed to my knowledge base of the industry uh, and how to position ourselves and how to be sustainable. And um, so I feel blessed that I've, I've, I've had those experiences and worked for some of those great people and great visionaries. So you have you have a consultant uh, that works with Energy Fuels, uh, Dustin Garo of Nuclear Fuel Associates. Uh, what's what's he do for you? Yeah, and I, I meant to had Dustin. I look at Dustin has been in the space for um, she's probably a good forty years. I know I think he worked with the Nuclear Navy uh, early in his career. Uh, Dustin's more of a, a marketing advisor, um, and. Um, you know, he had um, a good reputation of selling uranium, you know, going back, uh, as I said, 40 years ago. Uh, I worked with him um, on a couple of different companies over the, the 30, 40 years. Um, so D D Dustin has just um, been in tune with this this, this market uh, globally for a lot of years. So, so Dustin uh, does um, work for us, um, you know, um, and gives us advice on on the market and you know some market intel and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, no, and and it still goes back to what I said earlier that having a a strong uh, uh, position market position with contracts uh, has been the the true leveler in this space and the ups and the downs, um, and and provides a company the ability to have the staying power and make the right kind of decisions and you know you got a revenue stream. Right, right. So answer this for me. Why why doesn't the BHPs, the Rios, and the techs of the world take a bigger interest in the state of the uranium industry today and at this point in the up cycle? You know, that's a that's a great question, <laughs> Andrew. And 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 the industry, if you go back thirty, forty years ago, um the uranium industry was dominated by big players by 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 some of the bigger mining companies uh, by the oil uh, companies you know gulf and and you know chevron and union carbide and 
you know, a number of these, 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 uh, you know, the BHPs, the Rio Tintos, but you know, there's been so there's been more down moments in this business. There have been up moments in, in companies like, uh, uh, the DHPs have just sort of, and the and Rios have just focused on their, their their big breadwinners, which are you know mainly iron ore, uh, was coal uh, that's diminished a bit. Um, so you know it, it it is an interesting question why the bigger players are not still in this space, um, but they have gone, and uh, and that's changed the dynamics, uh, and that's changed the importance of longer term contracts too because. These smaller players do not have the balance sheets that they had to be sustainable. And um, so, again, that's an interesting topic on its own. Well, it'll be interesting to see what, what folks in the industry can approach these these bigger players and maybe ask, you know, look for JVs, look for different types of uh, agreements that might uh, help help push through uh, the cycle here. So that'll be interesting to see what takes place with the larger ones out there. Um, so we're getting we're getting about wrapped up here, Mark, and I appreciate your time. Um, Energy Fuels has the only licensed conventional mill in the U.S., White Mesa. Does Energy Fuels have any toll agreements in place with others to process materials there? And is the aim to fill capacity to maximize revenues regardless of where the material comes from? Um, look, um, the, the, the goal is to maximize the profit to Energy Fuels. Currently, we have no agreements with any other party for toll milling uh, at White Mesa Mill. Now, in the past, there has been some uh, limited agreements, um, but we're we're taking a slightly different approach, or we're trying to take a slightly different approach today. And part of the reason is is that with you know, if we get relief under Section 232, we want to go for the largest margin for our shareholders, and it doesn't necessarily mean that. That to having an agreement with with somebody else uh, potentially, you know, is it, it, the best uh, path to follow in that regard. Um, you know, we also have the ability, to, which we didn't have in the past, to particularly, but possibly, pick up some of the land cleanups uh, on uh, the Navajo Nation um, from abandoned uranium mines that were mined in the mainly the 50s, 60s, and 70s, which could fill up the mill on its own. Um, so we're really being very careful on how we allocate and, 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 and you know, you know, the mill and, and use it strategically to our best advantage. Right, right. Well, Mark, thanks. Uh, are there are there any thoughts, final thoughts that you'd like to mention mention before we go? Well, yeah. Look, and I, I just want my final thoughts are is we're thinking big. Uh, you know, we've had uh, probably the, with our peer group, probably the largest share appreciation uh, year to date um, uh, compared to our peers, quite substantially uh, higher. Uh, we plan to uh, continue to, to outperform um, the, the, the space because, you know, we have the ability to be responding in these different fronts that I mentioned. Uh, we plan to continue to have a strong balance sheet. And, uh, you know, if we get relief um, under the Section 232 petition, uh, the U.S. uranium will be the most valuable uranium in the world uh, until the world market catches up with, um, hopefully, the relief under Section 232. So, you know, those are all compelling uh, pieces to the argument to own energy fuels. Well, Mark, we appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. It's been a pleasure, and we hope you can come back and talk with us as things progress in 2019. 
We appreciate it, Mark. Take care and talk soon. Thank you, Andrew.